G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is the Footyology Podcast uh, Thursday or late week edition in the lead up to round two. And um, thanks for your support of Footyology and particularly this podcast. And uh, I guess we're sort of patting ourselves on the back a bit here, but we actually cracked the top 10 in the sports podcasts on the iTunes charts this week. So thanks very much, everyone. Very gratifying and good to know that uh, our ruminations are um, being listened to by enough people to keep going. As I say, a very good morning to you, my co-host, Mark Fine, and I believe you have a bit of encouraging news also, Finey. Well, first of all, top 10, that's very encouraging. Where did we finish? Second, third? Uh, tenth, <laughs> and and I've got to I've got to stress here that was only fleeting because uh, there's so many podcasts coming out so regularly that the charts move around pretty uh, pretty um, dramatically. But I, I did check late last night, and we were still I think in the top twenty odd. So uh, yeah, we're going all right. It's it is encouraging, and that's Australia wide, and it covers other sports, rugby yeah, league yep, features, and yep. even overseas. Uh, broadcast so keep on listening and we'll keep on providing and you know what attention gets attention and we have got a couple of wonderful sponsors that uh, are coming on board so, really well one of them very famous in fact both of them are famous one in a football sense uh, a building company nick spartels and hardwick build co and they're famous in the football world because and i can let the cat out of the bag on this one they're the building company responsible for two AFL captains' homes. Are we allowed to say which captains? Your captain. Dyson Heppel. Dyson Heppel's house and Scott Pendlebury's. Oh, lovely. And Mike Sheehan. Mike Sheehan? Yeah. Renovations, builds, southeastern suburbs, inner city. Uh, and really, if you want to maximise your building, your property's value, they are Top end, Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilko. Thank you, Nick. And how about Andrew's Hamburgers? A bit are they more... the other one? Andrew's Hamburgers, they are famous. They Eight... are sensational hamburgers. 80 years old this year, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And I'll tell you something about Andrew's Hamburgers. When you think, when you've got a hankering for a hamburger, it's a mm. real hamburger, isn't it? You're not, you're not desperate for it. An ox tongue slathered in, no, no. in kimchi. No, you, you? I want my traditional, you know, meat. Yeah, <laughs> <Mate>. <laughs> Burger with the Lot there is a real Burger with the Lot, famous. And later in the program, we'll tell you about an opportunity that might arise to have lunch with one of us. You know... Uh, <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be an experience. Watch, hey, if it's with Rowan, watch your chips. Yes. <laughs> well, we won't talk about my McDonald's gift voucher because that, uh, that's gone. Uh, that these, is... are, these are better than McDonald's burgers. Oh, I'm absolutely. willing to go online. Hey, just on chips, you know... I went to a fish and chip shop the other day. Yeah. And they, I ordered fish and chips, came on a big plate, and I was actually said to the waiter, I said, is this fish still alive? 
goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, somebody's eating my chips because there's only about five on the plate, mate. <laughs> yeah, but they were strategically placed to enhance the <laughs> aesthetic appeal of the plate. Just one thing on Andrew's hamburgers. Whenever newspapers now, and they do them every week, they do those, you know, top ten hamburgers in yeah, Melbourne. Yeah. They just cross out number one because it's ritually Andrew's hamburgers. And I know you think we're talking this up, but they, it is the best hamburger in town. So get down there, 144 Bridport Street. Albert Park, all right, enough uh, self Aggrandisement, is it? Aggrandisement, yeah. Uh, oh, I knew you'd get the pronunciation right. All right, let's talk footy. On Footyology, news feed. Okay, all the news that's fit to print. That's a traditional saying in this case. All the news that's fit to listen to. A um, few things on the agenda. Finally, I thought off the top we should just discuss the impact of the new rules because uh, we've been talking about them long enough. We finally got to see them in action for premiership points. Now, the one that's um, appeared in a new sense the most is 666 and the impact of that. Um, the expectation was that it have some sort of impact on scoring. So lo-, lo and behold, we had the lowest scoring round one since 19. 19- 65. Interesting point, though, and we're going to come to this in Media Watch, but as far as news goes now, you've really got to go digging around to find what's important, and I will come to that, but buried beneath that headline of lowest scoring first round since 1965, there was actually some pretty compelling evidence that it did have a positive impact, not on the scoring, but in the scoring opportunities created. So it ended up, this was the, since these sorts of records have been kept, this was, round one was the second most inaccurate round on record. I think the most inaccurate was like round 10, 2011 or something. But the accuracy was only, I think, 42.7%. So really low. Perhaps a more important stat for from the um, perspective of the impact of the rules was the scoring opportunities created. And they did go up. They went up to... I think 26 point something percent as opposed to last year, 25 point something percent. So it was marginal, but there were more scoring opportunities created in round one than we averaged throughout the entirety of last year. You do sound like a politician trying to justify a new law that's been passed through and getting finally a statistic that uh, statistics lies. And damn statistics. Yeah, but this one's compelling, finally, because... Well, hang on, I think it's not compelling. No, but the lawmakers can't be responsible for whether a guy can kick straight. But the idea was that... They can't kick it for him. Of course not, but I could counter that argument by saying the fact is it still is a low-scoring round, and the 666 was supposed to offer more open play, and I could argue that behinds come as a result of uh, snapshots from congested play, that it, in fact was inaccuracy, in part, is because of congestion congestion in the forward line. I could argue that, but I'm not mm. going to argue that, because whether it was that the That would be a pretty cruel thing to do, me having dug this out. No, but whether it's the lowest scoring round, highest scoring round, or the round where most um, you know handballs were made out of the back line, it's a very small sample group, and we shouldn't be rushing to judgment after round one. And Yeah, no, fair point. And incidentally, this is completely off the charts, but 
am I alone here? Every time I hear 666, I immediately get the Iron Damien. Maiden song, oh, Number I, of the Beast. I think of Damien and the, the movie The Omen. All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to go on iTunes when I get home, check out where the downloads of The Omen have gone up and where the sales of the 1981 Iron Maiden album, Number of the Beast, have gone up because it just makes me want to immediately start playing that song. But, you know, that there are people out there with religious convictions who are very attuned to hearing hearing numbers and comments and for example when I was at SEN you know my theme song was The Devil Inside by NXS yeah and I had a couple of people do you like that song I never liked it not not necessarily but Mm. it seemed to suit the program yeah I had a couple of people uh, more than a couple contact the station and say that it's a an anti-religious song and it promotes devil worship and whether or not we could change the opening because the devil is mentioned. Is that right? Yes. Well, how do they get through listening to five hours of you every night? You are the Antichrist. Please. (laughs) Just because I'm Jewish doesn't... (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean it in that sense. Let's get back on track here. (laughs) So, um, the new rules. Uh, The kicking one is interesting because I... That's the one I dislike. Well, yeah, no, we and we talked about that last week. But did you see any obvious impact of the kicking rule? Because I didn't. I think it actually channeled players to kick towards the boundary because when they meandered out of the square, they didn't meander straight down the ground mm. by habit or by instruction. They would sort of wander left or right, and that tended to be an indication to the players where to go. And the kicks generally would were boundary la- boundary line bound. I didn't. I thought it was um, actually counterproductive. Well, I would argue at, at the very least um, distance. W- w- one of the in, uh, intents of the kicking rule was that even if um, players were boundary bound, those subsequent um, contests would be another 10 metres further up the ground so the ball wouldn't immediately ping-pong back into the 50 because of that forward defensive pressure. So I think, um, I reckon we're really going to see those kick-in strategies evolve. And another thing too, and we'll talk about this in Media Watch, but with the 666, the setup, I think the role of the wingman um, is going to become more defined and more interesting and perhaps more varied than we've seen in the past where, you know, wingmen over the last 20 years have just become another of that revolving door of um, midfielders, haven't they? But I think we might see a more specific use for wingmen. But I'll I'll talk about that in Media Watch in the context of a very interesting podcast I stumbled onto today. Um, Gut punches, they were on the agenda as well. Um, A feeling that Michael Christensen, the MRO, went a bit soft. Did I say, I said Christensen, sorry. Michael Christian went a bit soft on a litany of gut punches. I think the three that were most cited were uh, Liam Jones on Jack Rewalt, um, Liam Ryan from West Coast on Darcy Gardner, and uh, Ben Cunnington of North Melbourne on Fremantle's Nathan Wilson. Um, Now, Michael Christian was interviewed about the wash-up from round one, and he was basically conceding that for a suspension to occur from any of these incidents, um, it had to be classed higher than low, and the implication was that to be classed higher than low impact, there had to be an adverse medical report and um, time 
spent off the ground, which basically is saying, you know, you've got to just about break a guy's ribs um, to earn a suspension. Now, Paddy Dangerfield was interviewed, and he, he was under the impression that everyone had been told there would be suspe- you know, point-blank suspensions for off-the-ball uh, gut punches or you know, punches of any sort. I, I mean, I, I understand where Michael Christian's Michael Christian is coming from with the gradings, and they sort of lock him into a certain space. But I would have thought this is one they could get around, where the the most important factor becomes not the severity, of the impact, and the area of contact, but the distance from play. And I would be more than I don't know about you, Fonny. I'd be more than happy for a guy to be suspended for anything untoward like that that is, you know, at least sort of 30, 40 metres off the ball. I, Isn't that easy to define? We don't have a point system anymore. Per Isn't that easy to define? Very easy. But I think any jumper punch, look, a player can be setting up for a boundary throw-in. So he's within 30 metres of the ball. If you're not expecting to be punching the solar plexus, it's a very painful experience. Yeah. I was, well, that was a Jack Rewalt one. You know, he was yeah. that was miles off the ball. And it is, it's unseemly. It's not. It's cowardly. It's a cowardly act. Mm. You're felling your opponent, seemingly with a loophole in the law. It's the only way you can physically um, impose yourself on your opponent. But as I say, it is cowardly. It brings him to his knees, sometimes gasping for air for a couple of minutes. And I really believe it should be a week suspension. I was on this years ago. Mm. I remember Dean Polo. Excuse me, Dean, but you did it, so you're going to have to live with it. Both at Richmond and St Kilda thought it was okay to run around when people weren't looking and punch them in the gut. Mm. Now, he was a fairly wiry individual, was old Dean, and he wasn't probably able to impact physically in the you know, humpo-bumpo of football. So he thought it was suitable to go punching the unexpected. That is worth a week. And I'm not one of those people that always say, oh, imagine what happens in junior football and local football. But imagine what happens because they do not impose financial fines, uh, financial um, penalties. And if it's okay to do it in the AFL, do you really want under-14s and under-12s punching behind the play? No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, what would the fine be for an under-12? Oh, you know, a week's pocket money. Three. Yeah, it'd be like $15 fine. That's not fair. That kid gets 20 bucks pocket money. Yeah. I get five. Confiscation of paper round payments for that week. Correct. Or, or football cards handed in and not returned <laughs> till the end of the term because we're not playing swapsies in class. Actually, it wouldn't be footy cards now. It'd be uh, credits for PS4 online interaction or however they do it. I don't know. My son's still fleecing my credit card for that. I've got to find out how much that is. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I just I don't understand why it's that difficult. Why, okay, you have your points values and everything, but you just give the match review officer an overriding capacity to um, make a judgment about the... I thought that's what the idea was of having this MR... You know, match review officer. To give him more flexibility. Yeah. yeah. We went away from the rigidity of points. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, I, well, I guess bringing it from, you know, three people or whatever it was down to one was part of it. So why, yeah, no, there's definitely, that's one to keep an eye on, I think, because um, one thing, uh, there was an expectation, Paddy Dangerfield said, 
they were told, and I seem to remember this too, Steve Hawking said at the start of last year, you know, people at gut punch unnecessarily will be suspended. Yes. And that's clearly not happening. So the threshold of a suspension is too high. It needs to be lowered. And this is not the first time that the AFL have had a sort of um, attention span issues. What, sorry? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but don't you find sometimes that they make a big hullabaloo about a certain um, unsavoury act on the field or a style of play and clamp down on it, and mm. within a year it's forgotten. It was like that rule, the sometimes forgotten rule of a free kick and a 50-metre penalty. Mm. If you, if somebody has possession, the ball gets rid of it, and you tackle them and deny them the opportunity to run on. Yeah. Some umpires just seem to forget paying it, that it existed. The, I've seen the free paid, but not the 50. Yeah. I'm yeah, saying, yeah. But, and it, then other umpires would sort of, oh, yeah, that's a free and 50. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, a couple of other things I wanted to touch on quickly. Um, we had uh, that shocking blow in the crowd at the Richmond Carlton game, and uh, the main uh, protagonist in that was subsequently publicly identified, and initially was fined only three hundred and something dollars, but uh, there's now been charges laid for a fray. So d- this almost enters into media watch. <coughs> pardon me, media watch as well. But certain members of the media. I know Andrew Marr on 1116SEN was one, and there were definitely others who were outraged by the leniency of the penalty and took up the cause. Now, there was a sense of um, vigilanteism almost as callers were ringing in and leading questions were asked. Mm. What do you think should happen to them? Do you think it's enough just to give them a slap on the wrist? I mean, you ask that question, what's somebody going to respond Nevertheless, I heard all that before I saw the footage. Oh, it was shocking. And then I saw the footage, but and I became a vigilante. Yeah, and then, <laughs> well, did you hear the backstory to it, which The Age had, which is that, um, I can't remember the kid's name now, but he was playing, uh, he played for the same team that Patrick Cronin played for, the kid uh, who was killed by the a kid hit. Um, yeah. And his family know this kid, and he rang them and apologised to them, but uh, Pat's father said that you know that that before the charges were laid, that wasn't nearly enough for penalty. But the fact that anyone who knew Patrick Cronin or played for his club and was, you know, geez, it takes a bit for the message to sink in. I mean, it takes. It's incredible. We had the the um, the racist outburst against Liam Ryan. Yeah. Um, who was that for? Sorry. <laughs> I thought go, it was on silent. Go on. But again, when will people realise that the public is on display at the football? Mm. And you know what that means? And on social media in the case yeah, of the but, racism but, one. Yeah, but you know what that means? You can't you can no longer get away with being a thug, a racist or a criminal and more power. Oh, except if you work for Sky News. Boom, boom. But, <laughs> but the... What's oh, true? <laughs> go on. <laughs> Here we go. The political... I didn't think this was going to be a politically charged debate. Well, it's a pretty, obvi- my Monty it's pretty obvious lie. I can actually name a thug, a okay, racist, no, and a criminal. All right. Well, anyway. do it on another podcast. And a complete imposter as well. Go on. Rowan's political <laughs> podcast is on... Where's that in the top 10? All I'm saying is that you're not going to get away with it, so modify your behaviour. And 
not just modify your behaviour because you're going to get caught. Modify your behaviour because you are probably a parent, maybe a you know you're either a parent, a brother, a sister, or a son or a daughter. Mm. Or and, just modify it because you want to be a decent human. Yeah, I'm saying, but you, <laughs> but I'm saying you, you bring not only yourself into disrepute, but also your family. It, it's it's shameful. Yep. Just one other very quick yeah, news quick, story. Quick, quick. Eddie Head Surface. Marvel. Marvelous, it's not. Docklands. Yeah. Colonial. Yeah, no, no, it's not. Colonial. And actually, um, you um, you pointed this out too, and we've got to be quick, yeah. but AFLW Grand Final, a real shame that it's going to just get lost in the wash of round two. Yeah, the whole the whole um, fixturing for AFLW has been a question all year. Yeah. I think the general consensus is it's been a real step forward in the quality of play. No doubt. And that is not being rewarded by the Grand Final spot coming up during the second weekend of AFL football, the AFL have to come up with some, something much better. And you know what that much better would have been? What? Friday night AFLW grand final. We have a Thursday night game that would have been the Friday night game. Yeah. And just, you know, for all the financial hardship that it would cost, and I say that with inver- with air, air brackets or whatever it's called, cop it and have a showpiece on Friday night for AFLW-GF. Well, it's going to be a bigger issue next AFLW season because you've got four new teams coming in, yep. West Coast, Gold Coast, Richmond and, and St, St. Kilda. Kilda yeah. So I, I've got no idea how they're going to resolve it, but couldn't agree more. Look, I've followed this AFLW season pretty closely because I've been doing a, a podcast, one of the 68 podcasts I now do. And um, the quality has gone up. I think scores across the board have gone up. Um, but there's still, I still sense the AFL isn't quite prepared to put its money where its mouth is. So the, there's lip service paid to a lot of stuff, but the proof of the pudding that they're right behind it would be prime time scheduling like that, and I think it's good enough to deserve it. All right, let's move on. On Footyology Media Watch. All right, everyone loves this segment. All our colleagues uh, desperately tuning in, waiting to see who's going to cop a roasting. Well, several of you. Uh, no, 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 just kidding. But I did want to start finding with there is now so much football media, and we discussed last week the 18 football shows that are now on TV, uh, 15 of which are trying to be the front bar. Um, but there is now so much football media that you really have to shout to be heard above the din. And uh, we're already seeing some examples of this. It's sort of like, who is going to say the most provocative, controversial thing? And there was one, I think, on Tuesday night on Fox Footy, which was, of course, subsequently picked up by News Corp newspapers, i.e. the Herald Sun. And it was Mark McClure on AFL 360 um, saying that John Warsfold is... uh, is on the skids, and uh, the quote was, I'd be surprised if he lasts the year. Um, He then went on to throw doubt on the uh, coaching future of Don Pike, who, if I'm not wrong, 18 months ago led his team to top of the ladder and a grand final. Uh, I would say that is a bit ridiculous. What say you? Yeah, it is ridiculous. Is there a need to be heard? Is there a, a... That oxygen gets thin at the top, and the more sensational the claim. The interesting element of this is not that it was said by sellers, it's, and everybody's entitled to their own 
interpretation of results and maybe some intel that they've got. Okay, fair enough. But that it's then run with. And the running with the story happens because of the fact that there is ownership of Foxtel by News Limited. So it's in their interest to run stories that come from within the stable. Correct. Now, just on that, and and that's, we're going to sort of, I was going to talk about this, actually, I can talk about this now, but people always talk about the agendas of this particular person or that person in the football media. They've got an agenda about this, and they frame it in terms of issues. I would argue now very strongly that it's not really about individuals within media organisations and their own personal agendas. It is about the corporate agenda of the organisation they represent. There is no question about this. I'm not even saying this necessarily critically because I understand why it happens from a commercial perspective. But if you pick up the Herald Sun, they now ritually will will, um, not beat up, but but feature more prominently stories which have a tie into their commercial interests. Thus, what a cavalcade of former players or experts, whatever, say on Fox footy shows is just routinely written up as a a news story in print now. And that's the agenda. So when you're reading the newspapers now, you've you've got to look at a story and say, okay, is the run this story is getting is that deserved purely on news merit or is it more a reflection of the corporate time so on one hand you've got a big wedge of football coverage being fox football and news limited correct news corp a news corp yep. sorry news corp yep correct yep the other big mover in broadcast and covering football is croc media yep with 1116 SEN, the AFL football record, AFL Nation, Mm. which covers football right around Australia, and definitely content on afl.com.au. I don't know where responsibilities start and end there. And, and hang on, uh, content on Channel 9. So one of those new shows, The Oval Office, which Sam McClure hosts and comes after Footy Classified, that's a croc media show. So that's what I'm getting at. Craig Hutchison, who is the principal of Croc Media, certainly made his way in the football world as a toe-in-the-foot-in-the-door journalist, newsbreaker, and he obviously pays great um, credence to that sort of, you know, the young journalist. So you see Sam McClure uh, rising to prominence, storybreaker, looking for the headline, looking for the story that the media runs with. Last year, I think he played a a big role in the Adelaide pre-season camp story. Mm. It ran throughout quite a lot of the year. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, it was a pretty important story. I think it was overcooked. Yeah, I think it was overcooked. I think that it was, in the end, certainly when broken, it was a valid story. Mm. No question. Mm. But this thing kept rearing its head throughout the year with ramifications and... uh, in-house policy changes. Okay, that happens at football clubs. You try things, they don't work. I don't know. I think it might have been used as a bit of a crux in the end by the Adelaide Football Club for poor performance. But nevertheless, it became a story that ran longer than it should have, I believe. Uh, You see Mitch Cleary, now part of the Croc team. He's No, no, he's gone to AFL Media. 
He works for the AFL website, Mitch. Yeah, I'm saying, but is that not through Croc? Because he now appears God. on eleven. He's appears on eleven oh, sixteen SEN. Doing what? The wash up, which is oh, that's the show I was doing. Oh, it might have been the show. It was once. In fact, actually, it's just dawned on me. Funny, no might one have been my, my slot once. It was. <laughs> Did you get a phone call ever telling you that you weren't doing that anymore? No, um, no, neither do I. But that's okay. But so, Mitch. Is it? Cle- yeah, I don't know if it is really. I, I mean, last Doesn't time I me. last time I checked, it was part of civil discourse that if you were sort of not using someone, you actually answered an email or a text or a phone call to uh, actually just have the courtesy to get in touch and say, "Oh, thanks for the last fourteen years in your case, or eight years." Oh, in, don't in speak mine. on my behalf. I'm quite happy with how things ended up in no, this year. No, well, actually, we'll, we'll pursue that. Uh, we'll pursue. Uh, so am I. In fact, I just didn't know that ended. Okay, you're listening to Media Gripe on Footyology. So- I'm going to talk about that the next week, the lack of civility in the world these days where people think it's okay if you don't want to tell someone something just to ignore them. So there's a few people that uh, won't want to run into me in the next six months. Go on. I'm ignoring you. No, go on. <laughs> I'm just saying that the we've spoken about this at length on Media Watch is that there are big organisations call them umbrella corporations now that run a lot of AFL media. Mm. And the danger here is, as I said, with Croc Media, there's a bit of a skew towards the newsbreaker. So you might, you know, there might be a rush to get that big headline out there. Thankfully, there hasn't been a lot of those sensational off-field calamities that uh, your ex-colleague Caroline Wilson was so fond of Mm. for journalists to devour we haven't you know asada i mean imagine i've got to say imagine if we had the essendon affair now oh it'd be rolling coverage yeah you know that's it'd be oj simpson's you know drive wouldn't it and and it's funny that you say imagine if we had that now it's not all that long ago but that's how quickly the media landscape keeps moving isn't it so i I just feel that um the rush it's always probably been the case, but now with Croc Media governing and News, what's it called now? Corp. News Corp pulling strings at Fox Footy and looking for headlines. Sensational headlines has always sold newspapers. Mm. That we are very much in the era of the big story, the big headline. But unfortunately, in most cases, as with Mark McClure, it's big story, big headline, big deal. Yeah, and it, that the flow-on effect of that is that there's fewer people in the football media now that have the capacity to um, talk about the game. So if there's not a lot of that sort of hard news happening, they sort of don't know where to go because right. it's all couched right. in terms of um, finding something out that nine times out of ten is sort of off-field getting voices on it, uh, when you don't have that uh, available to you, gee, ooh, might I have to write about something that's actually happening on the field? Oh, no. Which is, which is why I always took exception to Caroline Wilson being the chief football writer for The Age. She was chief football affairs writer. But you can't be the chief football writer when you shy away from talking about siren to siren. Well, that whole term 
really was an anachronism anyway. In fact, I think we've talked about this. I mean, I, I said at the time Caro came on board because there'd been a merging of the daily age with the Sunday age and I was the chief footy writer of the Sunday age and then uh, I had this title of football editor of the age, but it was fairly meaningless. And I was very big on the view that we should dispense with all titles, but um, I, don't, I can't even, it's so long ago now, I can't remember. Before we run out of time, I really wanted to talk about this. So, and it, there's a bit of a flow on, but talked about the agendas of various media interests, but there is just such a proliferation of football media now in print, on online, on TV, on radio, that it can be harder than ever to pick out what the good stuff is. And I, um, you know, almost by accident sort of stumbled on this uh, only this morning, actually, and it was, there's a new podcast on the AFL website. Now, the AFL website, I think the AFL website is is really good in terms of the content, but there's so much of it that a lot of it, unfortunately, gets lost in the wash. Now, I stumbled on a really good podcast that's just started, and I'm quite happy to recommend it, as long as you listen to ours as well. It's called Trends, and Mark McGowan, who's a really good uh, young reporter on afl.com.au, who tends to write about the game, so that makes him a rare commodity. He's hosting this podcast, and of course, they're going to have access to AFL talent, which is half the battle. But it's basically just talking about the game, and the first episode came out, I think, on Tuesday, and um, it was interviewing um, Brett Munro uh, from the AFL and David Rath, who used to be at Hawthorne but is now at the AFL. And they, these are two guys who have been integral in the framing of the new rules. And their brief is research and strategy and blah, blah, blah. They were talking about the, impact, the new rules, the impact of them. And it was just fascinating. And, um, you know, one, for example, this is just one example, but they were talking about the role of wingmen now in under the new rules. And Richmond was one club that, that in its first game had a defensive-orientated player lining up on the wing at that centre bounce and then, as I say, folding back into the defensive 50 whilst a player who had been stationed in the defensive 50 became effectively the replacement winger and the guy who the other guy had started on the wing went forward uh, a lot of shuffling around to get the right players doing the right roles they talked about Jarman Impey at Hawthorne who essentially was playing as an attacking midfielder or an attacking wingman he was lining up at the bounce in the defensive 50 so that as soon as the ball was bounced, he could have a direct run at the ball and impact that contest going forward. Whilst a nominal wingman at the bounce replaced Impey in that defensive role. So um, just to hear them talk about it and the research that went into the rules and the explanation as to why things are happening, I can already tell after one listen, this is going to be a, a weekly... Um, listen for me on my football media agenda. So it, it's uh, called Trends. It's on afl.com.au. But finally, again, getting back to that first point about the reporting of football, if I if I was still on the age and I'd heard that, I would have said straight away, gee, there's a simple news story that's a really valid news story. Let's have a listen to this podcast, hear what Brett Munro and David Rath had to say. Anything they had to say about the impact of the new rules, seeing they helped design them, is a valid news story. Isn't that a more worthwhile news story that people would be more interested in than Mark McClure saying, I'll be surprised if John Walsfold lasts the year, 
or another one that was featured today, and I'm not having a go at Lynchy here, but Alistair Lynch wrote a column about the gut punches, and that was sort of run online by the Herald Sun as a news story, where it's basically just an opinion piece, but it was, you know, Lynch, former great, says suspension, suspension should be handed out, blah, blah, blah. There's three, four, five potential newspaper news stories out of that 22-minute podcast trends, which I heard this morning. Um, so you see what I mean about you, you've got to – there's so much more football media now, but you've got to work even harder to find what is really important or relevant. I agree entirely. And just as a follow-on from that, you're talking about stories in the moment, mm. and I'm – continually frustrated by the lack of depth of knowledge by football broadcasters in terms of the history of the game, past, immediate past, going back however long, as long as it's relevant to the discussion. I heard one commentary on the weekend, that famous score came up, 8-8-56, and one, one of the commentators said, oh, that was Rex Hunt, and the other one said, before him there was someone else, the captain or the major. Oh, okay. And wrong station. Yeah, it was Harry Beitzel who mm. first came up with. He say if you're going to use it, then know what you're talking about. And a, a despairingly frustrating discussion on eleven sixteen SEN between Doctor Turf and Kevin Bartlett about Peter German, and they were talking about oh, what's Peter German done since he played football? And one of them said, I think he coached in WA, maybe East Fremantle or. And the other said, or was it Claremont? It was, in fact, Subiaco. He coached into premierships. And given that that very station had the day previously focused on the VFL and interviews with a number of coaches and clubs, the fact that he had been the coach of Coburg more recently and central to their survival in the competition, they had no idea about it. To me, that's simply not good enough, especially when you spend your time doing top tens about who are the biggest earners in in football media. Oh, so yeah. the media know about the media yeah. and make the media the story, but they don't seem to put the hard yards or are as conscious of actual football. So that reference to the captain and the major, did they know who the captain and the no, major just were? No, the captain and the major. They could have been two cockatoos. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the captain and the major. I'd like, who were the captain and the major? Uh, well, if you want to know who the captain was, whoever said that, just stroll past uh, Punt Road. There's a statue there. Speaking of two cockatoos, in the media, who were the f- two most famous cockatoos? You're talking about the name cockatoo? No, no, actual cockatoos. <laughs> I, I think know. they got kidnapped, didn't they? I've got no idea where you're going with this. Go on. Mabel and... Oh! From Saba Furniture. Yeah, yeah, right. Did they get kidnapped? Yeah, I think somebody I, th- I think somebody stole the two cockatoos at one point in time. <laughs> Did they return them for a hefty ransom? That was the idea. I I'd actually it... forgotten altogether about those cockatoos until you said it. I'd forgotten about Saba Furniture. Was it Mabel and Arthur or Mabel and Abel? Oh, I just remember Mabel. Yeah. Saba. <laughs> I'd seriously forgotten that ad, um, which isn't altogether a terrible thing. Um, okay, anything else? So any, anyway, look, if there's a, a sign-off on this Media Watch segment, um, it would be, again, jeez, um, I hope you're listening, Mark, because we're giving you one hell of a pump-up. It is a really good podcast, Trends, and uh, I uh, very strongly endorse it. But the bottom line 
with the message today is that, yes, there is a heap more football media, but it's harder than ever to be able to judge what it is you should be reading and listening and to and watching. Obviously, you should be listening to this, as obviously you are if you're hearing this, but um, you've just got to wade through a lot more to find the bits that are important. You basically need, as a football fan, to be a tremble. Don't you watch all those mining, the gold shows? Gold. I don't watch any shows anymore. Really. I, I, watch, I like those gold mining shows. What are gold mining shows? You mean there's a, gold, a genre of gold mining yes, shows? Yes, there's mine kings, there's Aussie gold hunters, there's gold hunters. Really? And they get... What they, are they on? They pun? What, what, what are they on? Yeah, what... I don't know, marijuana? Yeah, no, but what, 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 station, oh, sorry. <laughs> what stations are they on? Oh, sorry. You've got to be on something to mine gold. Uh, they're on pay-per-view... Discovery Channel, but a tremel is the large machine that you pour dirt into that shakes and vibrates, 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 and with water, all the gold. Oh, like a sieve. A giant sieve. Yeah, right, okay. And that's really what football fans need to be. You need to take all of the all of the rubble and the dirt and the uh, soil, yeah. sieve it, yeah. and you'll get the gold nuggets. Yeah, okay. Just make sure you don't throw out the um, the rice and keep the boiling water. Only use a sieve for rice. Okay, bye. Uh, all right, let's get on with it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio, we've got a heap to get through, so uh, let's get into it. Uh, Thursday night game. Oh, you want to interject? I do want to interject because time to remember that we're here by the good graces of Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co., if you've got an inner city build southeast, uh, south of the Yarra, then there's the company that has built for the stars, built for the captains of not industry but football. Scott Pendlebury, Dyson Heppel, magnificent houses, inner city housing, even Mike Sheehan. He was so impressed his mouth was open. It was a gate. <laughs> <laughs> in a shock twist. And you know what they put in his mouth when it was open? A ping pong ball. No, one of Andrew's hamburgers. 80 years oh, old this year. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And we've got a little plan devised, if everything comes together with Andrew's hamburgers, that you'll be having lunch with either Rowan and myself. One lucky listener every week will join us there for the best burger in town. And one with the lot there does not have, uh, I promise you, there's no lizard flesh, there's no monkey brains, it's good old-fashioned real hamburgers. You've really set us up there, because clearly what's going to happen is people are going to ring up and they're going to say, I really want the Andrews hamburger, but do I have to really have lunch with you guys? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Mate, I'd love to have lunch with you. No, I'm too busy, I've got too much on. I've got lunches for wimps. I heard you're a trencherman. A what? You eat a lot. Yeah, too much. Um, but I'm working on it. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Thursday night, another Thursday night game. We've got about 58 of these, haven't we? No, I think we've got eight. Uh, but Richmond Collingwood all kicks off Thursday evening. And uh, that is tonight. So uh, hopefully you're listening to this before the game. But it's a biggie. And uh, the landscape has shifted dramatically, of course, with the fact that Alex Rance is now not part of the equation for the entire season uh, rematch of the preliminary final, of course, which uh, produced a very surprising result. Um, gee, I found it hard to tip this one. I, I think, you know, Collingwood were beaten by Geelong, but I think they played okay, and I think they can improve a lot. 
Richmond did win, but I also think they can improve a lot as well. Um, what, what do you think happens? Well, we know that we knew that Alex Rands was out for the season, but Basha Hawley's out as well, I believe. Is that correct? With a hamstring? So that is a big loss. I mean, into the side comes Ellis and Markov. It's yep. not... Oleg. Yeah, Oleg Markov, the pole vaulter's son. And, look, I'm tipping Collingwood. I, I think in simple terms, in simple psyche terms, Collingwood's a very good team. They lost last week, and it's always dangerous playing a very good team on the rebound. Richmond, I don't disrespect them. I think it's going to be a great game. I expect more out of Jordan Degoe. Mm. I expect more out of the Collingwood forward line. Note during the week that all the advertising has been around Mason Cox and what happened in last year's preliminary final. That almost guarantees that Lightning won't strike twice. But I think Collingwood's small to mid-forwards could hold the key. Well, the other uh, huge um, factor in that result in the preliminary final was Brodie Grundy's domination of Toby Nankervis. So uh, for Richmond to win, Nankervis has to play a lot better than he did in that game last year. But no better than he did last week because he was was best on ground. It was great. So, uh, no, the ruck battle will be one keenly watched. But, yeah, really hard to tip this one. So you're going for the pies. Uh, Don't forget you're keeping track of our tips. The score after round one. Uh, Which we neglected to mention. Uh, You're on three. I'm on six. Yeah, six is a great get. I have to hats off to you. Oh, there were a few sixes out there. Carl, our panel operator, got six. Now, you said you assured me you were going to keep, keep track of this, not just on random bits of paper. No, no, no. I'm keeping... As long as I'm ahead, I'm keeping track. Okay. I know you store it all in your head. Um, all right, let's move on. Friday night, Sydney taking on Adelaide at the SCG. Uh, two pretty disappointing sides in round one. The Crows more disappointing. That was a shocker at home against Hawthorne. Um, Sydney... Lost to a pretty impressive Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium, and Sydney's record at Marvel was uh, pretty marvelous as well, too. So that was a, a bit, bit of a turn up. But I, I thought, yeah, I look at this matchup and I think Adelaide had a shocker and can really improve a lot. Um, I'm a bit worried about Sydney, and we know that they're not the quickest side going around, but I think the Bulldogs really exploited that lack of pace. Uh, might be less of an issue on the SCG, but. I'm not sure I'm that encouraged by the direction the Swans are heading in, finally. And I just Adelaide has a really good record against the Swans. Um, I think, in fact, at the SCG, they've won seven of their last ten visits there. So that's a pretty good record. And as we know, the Swans, it, the SCG became less than a fortress last year. I think the Crows are going to win this one. I think the maker of books also have Adelaide as favourite in this game, which surprises me. I... I'm not. Not only am I not sure about Adelaide, I'm starting to become a little bit certain that they're not a great football team. And the do the do day or dodo or yeah, do, big loss. Dodi dadi, do da do da. We it's a joke you won't hear a lot this year because he's not playing this nah, year. No, it's pretty. Um, this they also lost Richard Douglas and um, Seeds. Yeah, they will get Paul Seedsman Seedsman's back. Seedsman come, comes yeah, back in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether that quite covers the losses. I'm tipping Sydney. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Have... So we've got two different again. Ooh, no, no. Doesn't all go well for me. Doesn't all go well for me. That was, you know who used to say that? The captain. Or was it the major? <laughs> I don't know. Who are they? Um, 
All right, Essendon St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. That's you versus me. Twilight Saturday, 4.35. Well... Uh, Who was worse, St Kilda in winning by a point or Essendon in losing by a million? Absolutely no question. No, really, really worrying signs for the Bombers. They were just so flat, uh, just really lacked energy, smashed at the contested ball, 41 um, the differential on the contested ball. That is an absolute thumping. And they just had nothing. Um, the forward structure was a mess. I don't know what happened, but I'm I'm hoping it was an aberration. Um, the Saints, yeah, look, they won't have been wrapped to beat Gold Coast by a point. They got the result. That's about all you could take out of it. Um, this is a game Essendon should be winning and winning well. I, I don't think you can say that with any sort of confidence at all, but I think they're good enough to recapture their mojo, and I'm going for the Bombers. Yeah, I'm tipping Essendon as well, but I'm not tipping them by a lot, only because teams that are that rusty tend not to immediately click into pulverising form. Mm. But I think they'll find some form during the game. Selection will be interesting. St Kilda should never have uh, left Rowan Marshall out of the team last week. They actually could have played him and Lewis Pearce, but certainly he's a far better player than Pearce. And St Kilda were taken apart by Jared Witts. Now, I know that you've had some question marks over Bell Chambers. Mm. Whether he plays on Marshall or Pierce, it's a great opportunity for him to reassert himself as a not an also-ran ruckman. He needs to run into some form in this game. He yeah. does. Well, he's not the only one. Uh, David Zarakis would want to find a bit of form. But, but it often starts with the ruckman. You mm. know, th- that's the way the modern, the current, currently the game runs a lot around how strong the ruckman can uh, take hold of the centre bounce. I mean, you get the clearance, you've got the more open forward line, it's a real opportunity. Mm. I think Bell Chambers could run into some form in this game. I'm tipping Essendon by about 20 points. Uh, Yeah, ditto. I don't think they'll win by a heap, but a win will be enough after the debacle at the showgrounds last Sunday afternoon. And I'll tell you what, that being said, given how terrible they were and that it's at Marvel Stadium... I just don't know when I'll be tipping St Kilda again this season. Yeah, well, you did say that last week, I think. Um, All right, Port Adelaide, Carlton at Adelaide Oval, uh, 4.40 local time. So we've got two Saturday twilight-ish games. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, Well, both... Look, Carlton lost last week, but, you know, there there were some positives out of that. But I thought Port, you know, in, in a... Personally, the side I got most excited about watching last week was Port. They were the terrific, and what a! They promised they would change up their game style, and they have. They are quick, and uh, they used. They they weren't a big handballing team last year. They really went big on the handball last week. I love the look of Zach. Everyone knows it's Butters, uh, Xavier Dersma. Um, they had four debutants in that Drew. side. Yep, Rosie and Willem. Willem who? Willem Drew. We're going to do that all year, aren't we? Uh, four debutants <laughs> when you're on a good thing. Um, they were really exciting. Team. What? Yeah. Um, they were really exciting. Uh, I think they'll be too quick for the Blues. It's at Adelaide Oval as well. Um, Port, yeah, they're still a bit flaky, I reckon. I don't know how much you'd stake your life on them performing on a week-to-week basis. And I don't think, you know, the Blues are not without a show here, but uh, Port for me. Yeah, I mean, we tip, as all footy tipping is, as an even money proposition. You know, if you, if you, if you waived some 
attractive odds in front of me, I'd tip Carlton. But at you know, at the even money proposition, you've got to put Port Adelaide in, I guess. Mm. Uh, I know that second year syndrome is very real for young footballers, but there's also second, second game week syndrome well, in in that they're not unknown now. Yeah. And also, they become a little bit more of the hunted rather than the hunter. Mm. And for young players, you know, every touch is a is a in a game against Melbourne. Every touch is a huge victory and a confidence booster. They now all those debutants have to live up to their first week performances. So a bit more pressure on them. I tip Port Adelaide, but Carlton not as you said without a chance. All right, you're writing them down. Okay, yes, uh, next, Geelong, Melbourne at GMHBA Stadium, Saturday, 7.25. I'll be there for 3AW. Um, Is that not crazy fixturing? Uh, why? They're entitled. They've got floodlights there. Why shouldn't they have a Saturday night? There'll, there'll, there'll be more floodlights than Melbourne supporters. I mean, it's... Oh, good. yeah. Well, the opposition supporters... Don't, don't we... Don't go there anyway. I mean, you can't we, fit them in. Yeah, I'm saying, but don't we say... Oh, there's forty thousand going to miss out if the game would have got sixty to seventy at the MCG, and Geelong do play there. Yeah, yeah. Well, people just sort of accept it as part of the landscape, I guess. Anyway, Melbourne had a hideous record at this venue until the famous game when Max Gorn the, that, emerged. Yes. I think it was two thousand fifteen. And they I was sh- driving along Whitehorse Road listening to that game. I can just remember being on Whitehorse Road and listening to I that can game. remember a pre-game talkback call where someone said, I'm telling you, Melbourne are going to win, and everyone just audibly laughed. Uh, but they should have won last year's game as well. Remember, of course, Zach Tui kicking the goal after the siren. Melbourne led that game by five goals at one stage early in the last quarter. Yeah. So it's a ground that they've handled well. Um, they were really unimpressive last week, of course, Max Gorn's been roughed up a bit by the opposition, um, so that'll be one to watch this week. Disappointing performances probably from Jack Viney and Nathan Jones. Uh, uh Yeah, a danger sign for Melbourne that they really got exploited on the outside. They're not necessarily a super quick team. They're great on the inside, not necessarily great on the outside, which is interesting given that Geelong really seems to have souped up on the outside a bit with the introduction of the likes of Grian uh, uh, Myers and Tom Atkins, and I'm missing someone. There's another youngish well, player that's well, coming Brandon out. Parfitt Brandon Parfitt gives speed. them pace. But there, there's a bigger premium with the Cats on forward pressure now and, and locking the ball in that forward 50. Um, was a good, fa- now, good win by them against the Pies. And I think what's telling is that Hawkins really didn't have a great influence on the game against Collingwood. Mm. He's very good at the old Cadinia Park. He really does play that ground well. It's long and he just knows how to... He covers a lot of ground there. I thought he played brilliantly there last I'll year. I'll tell you what he does too. When you said mentioned his name, I just had a series of... It was like, you know, your life flashing before your eyes. Even when he doesn't play well, he's got a habit of bobbing up in the critical moments, hasn't he? Like yeah. the famous yeah. win after the bell against Hawthorne. Now, he starred that night, but... Uh, you know, the draw they had against uh, Gold Coast, he had the shot after the siren. Big goal in the um, 2009 grand final. That hit the post? No, not that one. No, no. One in the last quarter. Um, so, yeah, he's got funny about that. Um, Isn't it funny that when you're about to meet your maker, Tom Hawkins' life will flash before your eyes? I hope not. I hope my life has some value that it would be worth flashing before my eyes. Except I'd want to sort of debate the merits and of every bit of it. And I go, hang on, stop, stop, replay that bit. 
that, be... that McDonald's binge won't be part of it? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I'm obliterating that bit. No, it'll be a long death scene, I'd say that. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going for Geelong. I'm going for Geelong as well. Home ground plays a big part in that. Very interesting to watch with Reece Stanley. If he can get a victory over Max Gorn, what a start to the year by beating Grundy and Max Gorn, the two clearly best ruckmen in the competition coming into the season. That would be two great scalps to start the year off for Stanley because he certainly had the better of Grundy. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Uh, next game is very interesting too. West Coast v Greater Western Sydney at Optus Stadium, 5.10 local time. So on the eastern seaboard, 8.10pm. Last weekend of daylight saving it is too, so still three-hour time difference. Um, GWS, super impressive in ripping the Bombers to shreds uh, without... Josh Kelly and without um, Callum Ward, of course. And West Coast, boy, that was a bit of a stinker too. Six goals in the first quarter and then three for the rest of the game. My memory of this game last year is GWS actually went really close with a lot of players out injured. So definitely a chance. Um, We're expecting Josh Kennedy to come back for the Eagles uh, and perhaps Jamie Cripps. I mean, they really didn't have much of a... Forward set up last week without those two. And Willie Rioli. Or, or Willie Rioli. Is he due back? Uh, I'm not sure he if he'll late, be back. He was a late withdrawal. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So you think they're going to be more potent up forward. Um, fair size ground optus, similar dimensions to the MCG. Uh, I think that won't be. Um, I think that will suit the Giants. Uh, but bottom line for me, West Coast at home, I can't really tip against them. I'm going for them narrowly, but I'm going for West Coast. It's funny. You could do all the matchups. You could go player against player. You could give it the old Alf Brown treatment. What's that? Oh, that. For those too yeah, young yeah. to remember, he was chief football writer. No, no I know that. But and I'm, I'm saying just for the younger... Go through the matchups. Younger listeners. Yes. He was the chief football writer for the Herald for many, many years. Correct, and wrote... And his style of full full page previews. Well, his style of own. his style of writing was Carlton v Richmond, the back pocket. Laurie Fowler will get the better of Carlton forward pocket. Trevor Keogh. Yeah. At full four. Anyhow, you could do all of that for this game, and it wouldn't count for Jot because a very good winner from last week will probably lose to a poor performer simply because of the venue the crowd, and I guess the maturity that is required to win at West Coast, I'm still not sure whether GWS is that toughened team that can do so. So forget week one because week two, it's West Coast over GWS. The biggest road trip Alf had to worry about was the one to Cadinia Park, of course. I don't reckon he ever went out there. Uh, well, I reckon he probably did. All right, uh, North Melbourne take on Brisbane at Marvel Stadium Sunday afternoon, one ten pm uh, Now, this is a hard tip because the Lions, sensational in running right over the top of West Coast. However, speaking of home ground advantage, at the Gabba. And I think that will become a bit of a pronounced home ground advantage again this year. Um, North, pretty woeful against Freo. They really they didn't win inside. They got smashed outside. Their forward set-up looked pretty... Impotent, you know, you could see the strain on Ben Brown without having Jared White alongside him. Can I just add to that, maybe relevant with Essendon as well, Essendon and North had very poor JLT games. They did, yeah. Yeah, 
So we're talking about some and and Brisbane looked terrific in the JLT. And we're talking about so we're talking about two teams that have been poor now for a month. A month, yeah. No, no. I think it's absolutely relevant. People that say the preseason doesn't matter. I think the indication so far is it does. However, um, yeah. So on form, you'd surely have to tip Brisbane, but I haven't. <laughs> I think North are a substantially better team at um, Docklands. And uh, by, I'm not tipping them by a lot, but I think they're good enough to win. I wonder if Brisbane, some of the younger guys on that side, might have. there might be a bit of a, a come-down factor after such a momentous win. Except when I say young guys, eh, even the young, the youngest of them, you know, McLuggage, Berry, etc., they've been in the system now, you know, this is year three, isn't it? Yep. Um, and they've got a raft of quite senior players from other clubs as well. So that shouldn't be a factor. I better be careful. I'm talking myself out of tipping North, but I'm giving North another chance because I do think they'll be a reasonable side this year. The big look on North, watch on North, is are they going to continue this incredibly high possession game for little return? Against St Kilda, they had something like, I think, close to 100 more possessions. In the JLT. In the JLT, they got beaten. They had big numbers against Fremantle in the first weekend of the season. Mm. Have a look at some of their top-end numbers. Uh, McMillan had high 30s. There were players just touching the ball for no good reason. Mm. It's not how they played last year. I wonder why there's a change, given that last year they performed admirably. They've got to tone it back, and I think that could be problematic. So I'm tipping the upset in Brisbane. No, fair enough. Is that an upset? Uh, I haven't seen the odds, but uh, yeah, Probably. probably marginally. All right, Hawthorne Western Bulldogs at the MCG Sunday, three twenty afternoon. Well, two very impressive sides out of round one. Um, uh, Hawks were great. Jeez, James Warple, he's going to be such a good player for them. We talked about someone needing to fill the breach of the absent Tom Mitchell, and he did it brilliantly over in Adelaide. And uh, Jager O'Meara, I and think... I love his washing machines. No, no idea what you're talking about. Warples. Oh, Whirlpool. Yeah, very good. Um, Jake O'Meara stepped up. Oh, Carl liked that one. Good. Um, <laughs> Jake O'Meara stepped up. James Cousins was reasonably impressive, I thought. Uh, yeah, great start by them. Uh, we talked before about the Clarko's use of uh, Jarman Impey as a, a wingman coming out of the defensive 50 at the bounces. So he's tactical acumen is right up there at the start of the new year. Uh, having said that, Bulldogs... Really impressive against the Swans and thoroughly deserve the win. I'm going for the Hawks. I'm just, I don't know what the, the Bulldogs' more recent record at the MCG is like. It was pretty good in September 2016, obviously. What's it been like since then? Uh, I'd be probably in the negative given their last two seasons haven't been great. I'm going for the Hawks. Yeah, I think Hawthorne just showed again. We need, it's sort of the annual reminder that Hawthorne are a brilliantly coached team with a core group of very professional match-hardened winners. And that's enough, certainly, against the Bulldogs to get them over the line. I don't know whether it will suffice throughout the year, but I was impressed with Jager O'Meara. He had some scoreboard impact, which was very important. Sicily's a super player, and he can almost command the defence there with the forwards... Josh Shackey did bits and pieces, but the jury's well and truly out there. Aaron Norton was good, but I think they'll be well held by the Hawthorne back line and not be able to kick a score. I don't think they'll get above 10 goals, the Bulldogs, so I'm tipping Hawthorne. 
All right, and round two wraps up with a game which, if you'd uh, said to Alf Brown, here's the last one we want you to preview, Alf. Gold Coast v Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. Alf would have gone, what the hell are you talking about? Well, I, I reckon that he predates the Gold Coast. As a concept? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it used to just be southern Queensland. Well, not and then, quite. Well, Bruce Small was the first ever mayor, or he created Surface Paradise, and the Gold Coast grew, grew around it. Maybe yeah. maybe it would have been Broadbeach versus... <laughs> Labrador. <laughs> Not, did you have to bring that up this week? Oh, no, no, don't go there. Sorry, sorry. Labrador on the Gold Coast. Um, but Al finished up at the Herald, I think. I think his last year riding uh, might have been 77 or around then. Anyway. So he well, never got to use the Olivetti typewriter. <laughs> Which was the speedball? Oh, okay. That was a step up from what the uh, Remington. Yeah, yeah, the old ribbon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I actually did a bit of that. That's how old I am. Uh, Gold Coast Fremantle. Uh, Gold Coast, really impressive in defeat. Um, great fighting effort from them, given they had um, Ben Ainsworth and David Swallow on one leg. I know we discussed that last Sunday. Fremantle. Arguably the most impressive team out of the round. They were just terrific, full run, and looked uh, looked like a, looked like a side that wasn't coached by Ross Lyon. Maybe Ross um, now feels like he's got the players capable of carrying out a more attacking, positive game style, and uh, they racked up 140 odd points, which was a great effort. Um, it's at Metricon. I don't think the Dockers historically, they've been terrible on the road. They won one game on the road last year out of 10 or whatever. So that's an issue for them. But I think if you want to break the ice on an interstate trip front, Gold Coast is probably the opponent to do it against. So I don't, I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for them. But I think um, given last week's form, you'd have to tip the Dockers. And I am. Yeah, Braden Fiorini, very underrated footballer. They've got some underrated players there. Uh, Gold Coast, nevertheless, uh, they're just thin, aren't they? They're sort of thin across the ground, and Fremantle clearly has players that can exploit that. None, you know, Nat Fife could... If every if every player on the ground just meandered along, Nat Fife would guarantee a Fremantle win. So the Dockers, for mine, and... F- is, is Fife back to the best player in the competition? Uh, not after one week. No, I'm saying if you lined all the players up in the schoolyard and I gave you first pick, I'd certainly pick Fife. Uh, yeah. He's fit, firing and fantastic. Yeah, Dusty Martin. Oh, anyway, worry about that another oh, time. D- Dusty Martin is not fit, firing and fantastic. He's still the best player in the competition. Fife. Okay, uh, you're tipping Frio. I'm tipping Frio. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, the final word. Oh, I like that little reverb at the end there. Got to be short and sharp, Finey. What's your final word? Well, the word before the final word is best burgers in Melbourne has always been for 80 years and remains Andrew's Burgers. Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I'm going there right now. I could. Mm. Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. If you've got an inner city build and you want to add real value to your property, contact the boys and Nick Spartel's big Carlton fan hoping for big things against Port Adelaide. Damn it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, after I get an Andrews burger, I'm going to knock down my house and build a new one. I don't think you have the ability. All right. Contact Spartel's and Hardwick. Okay, my final word is this. 
tonight I go to Richmond Collingwood with my Tiger Mad daughter, member of Richmond, Harper. For her, it's, it's like a grand final. Enormous crowd, big excitement, warm day. I just hope... And, you know, I, I keep my fingers crossed that there's no nastiness in the crowd. I know these are two passionate groups of supporters. I hope nothing mars what should be and will be a great experience for Harper. Yeah, no, here, here. Um, yeah, and I would have said that regardless of what happened last week. Yeah. I just know night games, full crowd, Richmond Collingwood can get a bit heated. Yep, yep. No, hopefully what happened last week is a uh, very salutary lesson to people. Your final word? My final word, uh, well, I did the uh, Western Bulldogs-Sydney game last week for 3AW Finney down at close quarters on the boundary and you'll notice uh, one of the great trends of modern footy is the use of the phrase, get around him. Yeah. And uh, of course when a player plays his first game for a club the uh, and kicks usually kicks a goal there's uh, oh look at him get around him and we had uh, I ended up keeping an eye for AW on the get around him stats um, so yeah. the, well, so there was a, a get around stat for the Swans when Nick Blakey bobbed up and kicked his first goal for them and then when Sam Lloyd kicked his uh, first goal for the Bulldogs. And I have to say, uh, perhaps an indicator to how the scoreboard would finish, the Bulldogs definitely had the greater uh, numbers in the get-around-him stat. I saw a great get-around boundary umpire Mackenzie Parker, his first ever game as a boundary umpire, first throw-in. All the umpires, including the goal umpires, got around him. <laughs> Wouldn't that look funny? <laughs> there is no get boundary. around him. There, there's no doubt that is that is one of the uh, the catchphrases of football in the 21st century. There is no boundary umpire called Mackenzie Parker. It's MacArthur Parker from the Simpsons. <laughs> Was he melting? <laughs> All the sweet green icing flowing down. Green. They wear fluoro green. There's the connection. Okay. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you have a great weekend of footy. Don't forget to tune in to our second of the weekly podcasts, uh, which will drop uh, hopefully reasonably early on Sunday evening after the completion of the last game of round two. Thanks again. Um, for your support on the listening front. Keep listening, keep telling your friends and family and even people you don't like, put them onto us as well. Could be good punishment. Thanks again to our sponsors, Andrew's Hamburgers in uh, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park and Nick Spartels and Hardwick Building Company. We'll see you on Sunday and uh, speaking about get around him, uh, we'll leave you with this. Get around, get around.